You're listening to episode 30 of the FanCast Live podcast. In this episode, we'll look back at what transpired in the first half of the Mets 2022 season, and then we'll look ahead to the second half and list the obvious things that must happen to stave off the Atlanta Braves and win the NL East. That and more on this episode of the FanCast Live podcast, so stick around. Enjoy the show. great show for you today but before we move on to the segment i want to remind our listeners that you can listen to this episode of the fancast live podcast and many more like it at anchor.fm slash fancast live or on any podcast platform you desire please be sure to smash the like button follow and subscribe follow me on social media at fancast live on facebook instagram and twitter and of course if you want to reach out to me personally or if you want to be a special guest on the show, please email me at fancastlive at gmail.com. Thank you. All right. Once again, you're listening to episode 29 of the Fancast Live podcast. I'm yours truly, John Carlo, your host. So we're going to start things off, obviously, by reviewing the Mets 2022 season thus far. They had a phenomenal first half of the season going 58-35, and 35, 23 games over 500. If you can remember the last time the New York Mets were over 20-plus uh, games over 500, please let me know because I like to know because I don't quite remember. The only team I know that's done it is the 86 Mets, and we know where that team went. They went all the way, beating the Boston Red Sox in seven games of that 86 World Series. If you guys are Mets fans and you've you've never sat down and watched the entire seven-game series in its entirety, you must sit and watch that 86 series from game one all the way to game seven. And if you get a chance, watch the six games of the NLCS against the Astros that season. It was a phenomenal series. It was a nail-biter. It was so good to see the Mets win it in six because they sure didn't want to go seven games against Mike Scott. But uh, I'm getting a little off track here. I just get a little excited when I when I think about the 86 World Series Mets. But, uh, again, getting back to the Mets, they're 58-35. They're 23 games over 500. They have a two and a half game lead in the NL East right now over the Atlanta Braves. And an Atlanta Braves team that went on fire in the month of June and July thus far. Even though the Mets took two of three in that uh, second to last series prior to the All-Star break, they took two of three from the Braves and then three or four from the Cubs to finish five and two before the All-Star break which was really good because, quite honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, that series against the Atlanta Braves, it was supposed to be the end of the New York Mets season as most Mets fans saw it because they saw a inferior team, an inferior Mets team going into Atlanta 
facing the Braves uh, during a time when the Braves were just unbelievably hot. Scoring runs, pitching well, playing great defense, and again, getting to my point, that 10.5 game lead that the Mets quote-unquote blew was none of the New York Mets' fault. All right? You don't finish 58 and 35 in the first half of the season and say you've blown a 10 and a half game lead. You just can't do that. All right? The Atlanta Braves just got extremely hot going I think 28 uh and 6 at one point I think. They had one they had a 14 game win streak in the month of June where they just did not lose. But the important thing is all those games the Braves won in the months of June and July, well, they faced off against some of the worst teams in the league. Cubs, Pirates, A's, Reds. Uh, what other teams? Nationals. My goodness, the Marlins. All right, so they played some extremely bad teams, and they took advantage of those bad teams and went on a tear. Okay, so they were able to cut that 10.5 game lead to 2.5. But you know what? This is what we had, we had expected. This is what we had anticipated at the beginning of the season after Steve Cohen, our owner, went out and spent $230-plus million to acquire players like Max Scherzer and Stalling Marte and Mark Hanna and Eduardo Escobar and, and Adam Adovino and so on and so forth. We expected this... Um, this battle between the Mets and Braves to go all the way down to the wire. Now, the season started a little late. The Mets should have finished the season off with three games against the Atlanta Braves, but instead will finish the season off against the Washington Nationals, whom they were supposed to begin the season with. I think what they did is they flipped those those games at the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So the Mets are going to have three games against the Nationals to end the season. Those three games could, may may or not be very important games for the New York Mets as far as winning the division. But is it that important for the Mets to win the division? Well, yeah, of course it is. Because with the new rules in place, the top two teams, the number one and number two seeds, get buys through the wild card round. Which means the Mets will be able to sit at home, rest, and get ready for the divisional series, whomever that may be. But if they don't win a division, okay, obviously they won't finish with the top two records in the league. They'll have to play a wild card series. What is that? Five games, three games, five games. I forget what, what which one it is. It is what it is. But the important thing is, and what we're hoping is going to be, uh, what is going to happen, I should say, is that Jacob Degrom is going to make his way back. Max Scherzer is going to stay healthy, and then the rest of the rotation is going to continue pitching the way they did in the first half, and. The Mets rotation is going to be one to be reckoned with down the stretch. We'll, we'll get we'll get more on that in a little bit. 
So the Mets did pretty well against the NL East thus far this season. They're twenty eight and twelve in the NL East. They're four and three against the Braves, and that's because they won the t- you know two of three just prior to going to Chicago to play the the Cubs for four before the All Star break. The Phillies, the Mets are nine and three. Oh, by the way, the Mets still have twelve games against the Braves, five of which are coming in the month of August. All in the span of what four days? I think they have a double header against the Braves uh, that they need to make up, and they're going to be making it up during that series. So they're going to be playing five games in just that series. So twelve games against the Braves. They're nine and three against the Phillies. We've really done well against the Phillies. It's it's incredible how well the Mets have done against the Phillies. But then again, the Phillies were, you know, not doing very well. I think the last time the Mets played the Phillies, Joe Girardi was still their manager. He has since been fired. And I forget who's 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 the interim manager there now. But since Girardi has left, the Phillies have really somewhat turned it around. They're over five hundred now, I think, by three or four games. And, you know, yeah, they're playing without their star player, but they're still a team that should be worried about. The good thing is we only have seven games left against them. Miami, we're seven and four. Miami has always been a thorn in our side. They've always been that. But to see that the Mets are seven and four against them this year uh, is a good sign. I would like to see that record be better than seven and four but the Marlins aren't a bad team they're a very young team they play terrible defense um, but they've got a strong pitching rotation and they've got you know a somewhat pretty good bullpen you know when when they need to get the job done they can get it done but then when they're struggling obviously things um, you know don't go well for them and then against the Nats, the Mets have been 8-2 and two so far this season. They have nine games left against them. That is a very good record against a crappy team, a team that's in the, in, you know, in the cellar in, in the NL East. So it's important that the Mets, you know, specifically against teams like the Miami Marlins and the Washington Nationals, that with 17 games left, they need to win most of those 17 games. Against the NL, the NL Central... The Mets are 12 and four against the NL West at 13 and 10. Most of those most of those wins obviously coming against uh, Arizona. Um, and in interleague play, and they're five and eight. They're that's the only one they're under 500. They obviously lost those four games to the Houston Astros. So uh, that says a lot. That says a lot. But I wonder if things would have been different. Had the Mets been healthy and Scherzer and DeGrom would have been in that rotation facing uh, one of the most potent offensive lineups in in the majors today. But maybe we'll save that for the World Series. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but yeah. So the Mets are, you know, a pretty good offensive team. They're top 10 in one, two, three, four categories. Team average, they're 7, 262. Uh, team runs 435 they're fourth uh, let's see team RBIs 415 they're fourth 
and OBP a 324 that's fifth in the majors not the National League but the majors okay the majors um, they're 17th in home runs with 92 obviously that's something that the Mets really need to address uh, by the trade deadline we'll talk about that in a few minutes uh, they're 14th in team slugging with a 398, and they're 11th in team OPS with a 722. So, obviously, uh, during the months of April and May, the Mets were, um, you know, running on all cylinders offensively. They were very good with runners in scoring position. They were good with runners in scoring position and two outs. They were getting some big hits. Um, you know, they were doing it a lot with without the home run. Whereas opposed to the Atlanta Braves, most of their runs have been generated via the home run this season. And, you know, eventually you have to think that those bats have to start to, you know, must ha- have to cool down at some point. They really do. Um, but obviously, when you look ahead to the second half, there are a lot of things that need to happen in order for the New York Mets to have continued success and to win the NL East. Like we've we've already mentioned, two and a half game lead on the Atlanta Braves. The um, the Phillies, I think, are like eight games back, or maybe possibly eight and a half, nine. But the 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 Marlins are probably back there at like fourteen. And the Nationals, I think, are 20-plus. Whatever the case may be, the Mets need to continue their success. And how are they going to do that in the second half? Well, obviously, some things need to happen. Jacob deGrom has to come back. At what point in the second half is he going to be back? I'm not quite sure. I'm hearing that maybe in two weeks he's going to be back. I think he was throwing a simulated game either today or tomorrow. I forget which. Um, either way, he's getting closer and closer and closer to coming back and joining the New York Mets rotation at some point in the month of, we hope, the month of July. When he does come back, Jacob deGrom needs to be vintage Jacob deGrom. Not only does he have to be vintage uh, Jacob deGrom, and what I mean by vintage, I mean let it sling, 101, I don't care, throw it as hard as you can, let those sliders, you know, move. Let those fastballs move. Let those uh, change-ups do whatever they need to do. But the important thing is that Jacob deGrom needs to stay healthy. If the Mets, I should say, if Jacob deGrom has a setback in any way after coming back, that's going to be trouble for the New York Mets. For the remainder of the season. Now, not only do you need Jacob DeGrom to come back and be healthy, but you need the rest of the this rotation to be healthy. You need Max Scherzer to stay in this this rotation and be the you know the one A after Jacob DeGrom. This is what the plan was at the beginning of the season. Jacob was going to be your one. Scherzer was going to be your 1A or vice versa. Whatever way you want to look at it, it really doesn't matter. It's your one-two punch at the top of the rotation. Now if you now if you have the likes of Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, and Chris Bassett continuing their success in the second half, 
specifically Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco has been up and down somewhat a little bit. So has Chris uh, Chris Bassett. But Taiwan Walker of the the next three here has been, I think, the better of the three. Carlos Carrasco has shown um, that he could be vintage Carlos Carrasco or Cookie Carrasco, however you want to call him. Chris Bassett has been phenomenal at times. He has struggled. I think he struggled during that period of three, three games, three, three, four games. But I think he's gotten it back. He's back on track. And again, with Degrom at the top and Scherzer following, with Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, and Carlos Carrasco as your three, four, and five. Man, this is probably going to be one of the most. Um, um, this is going to be a rotation to be reckoned with is what I'm trying to say. It's going to be quite difficult for any team to beat the New York Mets while this rotation is intact and healthy. Watch out, Atlanta Braves. You may have been hot in the months of June and July, but at some point you're going to cool off. At some point, teams are going to start learning how to pitch to you where that home run ball isn't going to help you down the stretch. Maybe you're going to have to do some situational hitting. Maybe you're going to have to hit some balls in the gap. Maybe you're going to have to get some singles. You're going to have to work to generate some runs because eventually that home run rate has to slow down at some point. Now, there are two other things, actually three other things that need to happen by the trade deadline to help improve this New York Mets lineup and the back end of the New York Mets bullpen. Obviously, it's been disappointing to watch the likes of J.D. Davis and Drew and um, and Dom Smith. I was going to say Drew Smith. My goodness. Dom Smith struggle thus far this season. Dom Smith has yet to hit a home run this year. It's been, I think, a year now since his last home run. J.D. Davis, I think, has three on the season. One of them was a big one. It was a grand slam against the Marlins. But other than that, he really hasn't done all that much. He's hitting just over 230. Dom Smith, on the other hand, I think is hitting 188. So I already mentioned that the Mets are, what, 12th in the league in home runs, okay, with 92. The, the Braves, I think, are somewhere in the vicinity of 140, maybe just below 140. They had 133 going into that series against the Mets, and I think they hit maybe two or three in that series. So they could be 136, possibly 140 by now. So the Mets have done a, a, a great job. I already mentioned this. You know, scoring with runners in scoring position this year and, you know, runners in scoring position in two outs, one out, so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, is there's no protection in the lineup for Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso. At some point, the New York Mets are going to have to go out and make a trade. Who that's going to be, I have no idea. A lot of names have been thrown out there. Trey Mancini, 
Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz. Um, I forget who else has been thrown in there. Um, ben Attendi of the Royals. Regardless, it has to be a significant bat. And I'm not talking about going and acquiring a player from the Pittsburgh Pirates who's hitting 20, hitting 13 home runs and 40 RBIs. That's not what I'm looking for. I don't think that's what the New York Mets should be looking for. What they should be looking for is somebody who is a consistently good hitter. Josh Bell rings a bell. Um, I've looked at his numbers. He's hitting over 300. I think he's hitting like three, 313 or something like that. He's got, I don't know, 15, 16 home runs on the season. He's got 43 RBIs, and he hits from both sides of the plate. That right there, that's somebody I would want on my team. Switch hitter? Absolutely. Get him on here. The question here is, is what are you going to give up for a one-year rental? I don't know. What are the Mets willing to give up for a Josh Bell? I don't know. What do they have to give up? I have no idea. The Mets are so top-heavy in the farm system. I don't really know many names in double-A, single-A, rookie ball. I just don't follow. Because I, unlike many Mets fans, don't fall in love with my prospects. Because we have no idea, none, whether or not these players are ever going to equate to anything. Whether they're major league talent or not. We won't know for years down the road. Now we do have some talent at AAA. Mark Vientos. Beatty. Francisco Alvarez. Ronnie Mauricio. You know, just to name a few. We have so many others. I just can't think of their names. Like I said, I just don't follow the minor league system as much as I might want to. Because, again, I just don't want to fall in love with prospects because then when they traded away like a Jared Kelenic, everybody flipped out and had you know a heart attack when Jared Kelenic was added to that deal with Seattle to bring back Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. We all know that deal was not for Robinson Cano. That deal was mostly for Edwin Diaz. We were taking back a uh, bad contract that Seattle wanted to get rid of. But at the same time, Seattle took back, who was it, Jay Bruce, and I forget who the pitcher was. Uh, so that kind of set off the Robinson Cano contract, and I believe that Seattle took uh, $5 million off the top. Four million dollars off the top, so instead of twenty-four million, the Mets were paying them twenty million. So I just don't do it. Um, but again, like Trey Mancini comes to mind. Trey Mancini, I like, but the, the fact of the matter is, right now Baltimore is in the middle of a wild card race. Uh, so last time I looked, I think they were two games back. They're game over 500. Yeah, they're sitting in last place in the AL East. I understand that. I get it. And there's still plenty of season to be played. So there's there's a good chance that Baltimore may or may not make, you know, a postseason run. So I don't know, you know, what Baltimore's plans are. But the fact of the matter is, is that Trey Mancini is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And Baltimore may or may not want to get something back in return for him before he leaves as a free agent. 
So there's a good chance that the Mets might, you know, look in Baltimore's direction for some DH help. You know, Nelson Cruz is another player from the Nationals that's, you know, he's 37 years old. He's had a phenomenal career as a DH, but he's just having a bad season. He's one of those guys who's hitting, I think, 200. And just because he hits a home run, you know, here and there and drives in some runs doesn't mean he's he's your answer at DH. I think the Mets need to focus their attention to players like a Josh Bell, who's a switch hitter, who's you know having a, a great season, who's driving in runs, hitting a home run, somebody who's going to hit the ball in the gap, get doubles, extra base hits. This is the guy you want. You want somebody who's going to be hitting the ball a lot more than swinging and missing is what I'm saying. So we go from the DH position to another position in the lineup that really needs some attention, and that's the catcher position. Obviously, a a lot of disappointment at the catcher position when it comes to James McCann, who since signing the four-year deal worth $40 million, it's $10 million a year. It's not a huge contract by any means, but the fact is, is he was supposed to come here and, you know, be the guy. You know, he was going to be this terrific defensive catcher. And, you know, while he was with the White Sox, his offensive numbers were trending up. But since coming to the New York Mets and signing that four-year deal, his numbers are, you know, trending down. His defense is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. But we're not paying a, ten, you know, we're not paying a starting catcher $10 million to be a defensive catcher. We're paying him $10 million a year to contribute not only defensively but also at the plate. So now he's on the IL again with an oblique injury. Who knows how long he's going to be out. He's probably going to be out a significant amount of time. Those those kind of injuries take anywhere, you know, from six weeks to who knows what. Again, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I don't know what the prognosis is, and I don't know what the um, the plan is for him to come back. But the catcher position is something that the New York Mets need to address. Wilson Contreras' name keeps coming up in trade talk. But the fact of the matter is is that the catcher market is is it. It's it's Wilson Contreras. There's nothing else out there. So if there's other teams out there looking for a catcher like the Mets are, there's a good possibility that the Mets may not get the guy they want. So they might have to go elsewhere and get somebody maybe that's, you know, a second tier who that's going to be, I have no idea. But where I want to go with this is is this. You have Francisco Alvarez in the minors. He was just recently promoted from AA to AAA Syracuse. He has continued his hitting tear from AA to AAA. Yes, the Mets um, may not think or may not feel that he's ready defensively as a catcher to be at the major league level but they feel that he could hit at the major league level how are you going to know that if you don't promote him to the major league level I would have promoted Francisco uh, Alvarez before the all-star break 
not against the Atlanta Braves, but I would have brought him up for the four games against the Chicago Cubs in Chicago where it would have been a perfect scenery for him because it's not at City Field. You don't have the fans. There's no pressure, you know, from the New York fans, and there's no pressure from the New York media. On You know, of course, they'll be there after the game, but you, you, you catch where I'm going with that. It would have been a perfect time for Francisco Alvarez to come up and play, I don't know, two, possibly three of those games at catcher and see what he's got. And maybe one game DH since you want his bat in the lineup. And by the trade deadline, I think you would have had enough stats or you, you, you would have been able to look at him enough to say, hmm, maybe we found something. Maybe we don't need to go to the trademark and get another catcher because we have one in Francisco Alvarez. You think? I don't know. I think that would have been a great idea. But the Mets are insisting that he's not ready defensively and that they don't want to, you know, um, they want to allow him to continue developing defensively down in the minors instead of having him come up here and possibly DH because that was the other plan. Mets fans are like, oh, well, if he can't catch, then bring him up here to hit. Well, that's not going to help his development as far as his his defensive skills are concerned. Because if you want him to work on his defense, then you might as well just leave him down there and let him work on his defense, you know, and continue producing well offensively at the AAA level. And then maybe you consider bringing him up again in spring training and see what he's got, and maybe he'll make the team. I don't know. But the market is very thin when it comes to the catcher position. Wilson Alvarez, I'm sorry, uh, Wilson Contreras is it. There's nothing else out there that compares to Wilson Contreras. So it's going to be tough for the New York Mets to go out there and upgrade at the catcher position. So it's going to be tough. But if the Mets cannot upgrade at the catcher position then they have to make a significant upgrade at the DH position. And I mean significant. Do I mean Juan Soto significant? Yeah, why not? Juan Soto would be tremendously great in his New York Mets lineup. But let's let's be let's be honest here. Juan Soto is 23 years old. He's already a World Series champion at the age of 20. Not many 20-year-olds can say that. He is already an established professional ball player. He's actually a superstar at the age of 23. He's got two and a half years left on his contract before he, he hits the open market. That's if he ever hits the open market. All right? So whether he is traded to a team... Maybe he's he's traded to a team that's willing to sign him, but that doesn't mean that Juan Soto is going to sign with that team. Because I guarantee you that with Scott Boris being his agent, he is going to make sure that his client hits the open market. 
He is only going to sign an extension if it's an overwhelming offer. Like the $440 million that the Nationals offered him minus five years. So it would have to be a 10-year deal at $44 million a year, which means that in 10 years at the age of 33, he would be able to become a free agent again and possibly get another contract. Well, he will get another contract. I don't know if it'll be as big, but this is where it becomes extremely important for Juan Soto to get that 15-year deal. He would have loved to have signed that 15-year deal had the Nationals made a profitable offer, a suitable offer, like somewhere in the vicinity of 35 to $40 million a year for 15 years. But with the Nationals up for sale and with the, with the potential of a new ownership coming in, why don't I don't understand why the Nationals are so quick on wanting to trade Soto, the face of your franchise? Wouldn't you want to bring in a new ownership group and let the new ownership group decide what they want to do with Juan Soto? Maybe they want to keep him around. Maybe it's an ownership group that has a tremendous amount of money, like Steve Cohen of the New York Mets, or the ownership group in out in L.A. with the Dodgers who have spent a tremendous amount of money to make that team what it is today. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get why the Nationals are so quick on wanting to trade Soto after rejecting the offer. The offer the Nationals made to Soto, $440 million, 15 years. You do the math, it's $29.3 million a year. There are numerous players... In the National League, in the American League, in all of baseball, that are making well over $30 million a year these days. So to lowball Juan Soto for $440 million, yeah, you're giving him $440 million. Ooh, that's a big number. But over 15 years, it's not market value for a player like Soto, who at the age of 23 is well on his way to having a Hall of Fame career. So, Juan Soto to the New York Mets, I highly doubt something like that is going to happen because the Nationals aren't going to trade a franchise player to a team within their division, specifically the New York Mets who are in first place, a team that Juan Soto would automatically make a World Series favorite. I'm not kidding. You might laugh, but Juan Soto would make the New York Mets World Series favorites. Why would the Nationals do that? Now, if the Mets were a team going nowhere... I think maybe the chances of Juan Soto going to the New York Mets would be a bit better. So, no, I don't see Juan Soto come to the New York Mets. Would I think Juan Soto be a good fit for the New York Mets? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would bank the farm system for Juan Soto. 23 years old, an already established superstar who is hitting 40 home runs a year and driving in 100 runs. 
23 years old, established superstar, okay, you will throw away the bank for a guy like Juan Soto. I would do it in a heartbeat. You don't even have to ask me twice. You want you want uh, Francisco Alvarez? Take him. You oh, you want Brett Beatty? Take him. Oh, you want Allen? Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. You want Ronnie Mauricio? <laughs> Yo, take him too. Mark Vientos? Absolutely. I'll throw him in. Juan Soto is a generational player. You will give up four or five prospects for this guy. Okay? And Mets fans' argument, most Mets fans' arguments who are against the Juan Soto trade are talking about how, well, he can walk away in two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. He could walk away in two and a half years. But the fact that you have him for three years, three playoff runs, three playoff runs, this year, next year, and the following year, three playoff runs. And if you were to win at least two of the three World Series, or even possibly all three, if your rotation is intact and stays healthy, he'd be well worth the four or five picks you gave up. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All right, getting back to what needs to be done in order for the Mets to continue success in 2022. So we pointed out the DH position. We've we've talked about the catcher position. Now, we need to talk about the bullpen. Because as far as the rotation is concerned, I don't think I touch the rotation right now. Because if Jacob deGrom comes back in, I don't know, a week or two, and it looks like it could be two weeks, so we could be looking at Jacob deGrom maybe first week of August. First week of August... The month of August looks like a pretty soft schedule for the New York Mets with the exception of the five games or seven games, eight games that they'll play against the Braves. Um, maybe I think they have a series or two against the Phillies in there somewhere. I, I forget. I I don't have it right in front of me right now. But either way, it's a pretty soft schedule in, in August. So I could see the Mets going on a pretty good run. All right? The Mets have 69 games left in, on the season, right? I forget where the hell I wrote it. I know I wrote it somewhere. Here it is. All right? They have 69 games left. If they can go 40... I would say 42... 42 and 27... If they go 42 and 27, the men the Mets will finish the season with 100 wins. 100 wins. 
that would be a successful season. I think 100 wins would be enough for the New York Mets to win the NL East because I think that at some point the Atlanta Braves are going to cool off. They're going to start playing some competitive teams in you know the next month and a half or so here. And with the Mets having DeGrom back, with hopefully the Mets having a DH, um, a significant DH, a, a DH who's going to give you some good numbers, who's going to contribute offensively and not just you know swing and miss all the time like J.D. Davis and Don Smith do. You know, the Mets could win... 42 to get 100 wins but they need to improve their bullpen now we've had disappointments with DH we've had disappointments at the catcher and we have some disappointments in the bullpen too um listen Edwin Diaz by far is the best pitcher in the Mets bullpen right now and just think about how far Edwin Diaz has come since the trade from the Seattle Mariners where I think he had 57 saves that season. I think it was a record of some sort. Came to New York, struggled in his first season, struggled in the second season, showed some signs last year of finally coming out of it and, you know, being able to play in a market like New York and then this year finally putting it all together and just completely dominating in every aspect of the game. I, I don't know how many swings and misses that Diaz has had this year, but it's there been they've been a lot. Edwin Diaz uh, he, at 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 some there are some times when he's just unhittable. You can't put a swing on a ball and be able to put the bat on a ball. That's how good he's been. But Edwin Diaz cannot do it all by himself. Seth Lugo, who has been a mainstay in the New York Mets bullpen for quite uh, a few years now. And at times he's been dominant. And he's been a one-two punch with Edwin Diaz at the back end of the rotation. Uh, I'm sorry, the back end of the bullpen. But for some reason, he's been unreliable this year. Don't know. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't even begin to tell you where I think Seth Lugo has gone wrong. His breaking balls aren't breaking. His location has not been good. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with his release point. I don't know if it's got anything with his mechanics. I don't know. I'm not a pitching coach. I couldn't tell you the first thing. But there's something not right with Seth Lugo. To the point where Buck Showalter doesn't trust him. Drew Smith is another one. He was exceptionally good at the beginning of the season. He was lights out. I mean lights out. He was phenomenal. He was striking out everybody. And then he started to get hit with the long ball. And gradually started to accumulate more and more long balls. 
to the point where now Buckshaw Walter thinks twice about bringing him into a game unless the lead is significant enough to allow him to come into the to the game and give and you know cough up a, a home run. Holderman has been really good when 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 called upon. Uh, Trevor May hasn't been seen since uh, his injury earlier on in the season. He's probably due to be back uh, soon, I hope. But even when he was healthy, there was just not something right about Trevor May. I When the Mets signed him, I was ecstatic. I really thought that we had finally gotten a guy that was going to be a lights-out lights type guy in the back end of that bullpen. And... At times he has been, and then there there are times when again he's had his issues with the long ball as well. Adam Adovino has been really good as of late. Didn't start off too well, but he's been really really good as of late. So he's been the guy that Buckshaw Walter goes to, in you know the late innings. So the Mets need to go out and get themselves a Robertson from the Cubs. He's a guy I think the Mets have been looking at for quite some time now. He would be a tremendously good fit in the Mets' bullpen. He really could be. I just hope that the Mets are able to land him somehow, some way. I don't know if it's going to happen because you know for damn sure there's going to be a lot of teams out there looking for some bullpen arms, specifically the teams Independent, independent race, in in a wall car race, in a divisional race. But one arm isn't going to be enough. I, I think they need to go and get possibly two arms for that bullpen, um, because we don't know. I mean, hopefully with with some rest, Seth Lugo turns it around. With some rest, Drew Smith turns it around. You know, with some 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 you know rest, most of these guys will get back to health. They'll get back to 100 percent, and you know maybe they don't need to make a significant move at the trade deadline. But I still think that regardless, the Mets need to make a move at the trade deadline for a bullpen arm. So to review, the Mets need to address the DH, the catcher, if possible, and the bullpen, the rotation. Don't need to touch it. Why? Because if Degrom comes back and he's vintage Degrom, there and they and he stays healthy as well as the the remainder of the rotation, there's plenty of depth there for the New York Mets. Tyler McGill is going to be back at some point in August. He's the next guy, you know, um, the next guy up. If somebody were to get hurt, Tyler McGill would be get plugged into the rotation, and he'd be. Um, an excellent, excellent replacement to whoever gets hurt. And then you got Dave P- David Peterson, who's also having a pretty good season. Um, you know, he's he's really turned it around. I I like the direction that Dave Peterson is going into. And then you got Trevor Williams. So after Degrom, once Degrom comes back, you'll have Degrom, Scherzer, Walker. Bassett, Carrasco, and then you have Miguel, Peterson, and Trevor Williams. So you'll have plenty of depth for the rotation heading into you know the stretch run. I don't think the Mets will do anything if something is out there 
that the Mets deem a an any an innings eater. You know, maybe they go out and acquire that just for depth. You know, a guy that they could possibly use out of the bullpen if possible. You know, Trevor Williams, once, you know, once the ground comes back, Trevor Williams can go back to the bullpen and be the long guy. You know, I, I don't think he would have a problem with that. I think Trevor Williams, as long as he's in a big picture, I, I think he sh- he should he should be fine. He'll, he'll be fine. So... Um. Yeah, I mean, what else? What else is there to talk about? I mean, we've I've covered pretty much everything. Uh, I I think the Mets are well on their way to having a successful season. Um. You know they have to somehow. You know, keep the Atlanta Braves at bay. I mean, it, it's it's going to be fine. I, the pressure, they're going to be looking over their shoulders. I don't think the Braves are going away. They're going to be looking over their shoulders. There's probably going to be a moment when the Atlanta Braves may or may not pass the Mets in the standings. Maybe for a short while, maybe for a day. But that that, that possibility is there. Those five games that the Mets play against the Braves in the month of August... Those are that series is going to be key to who's going to win the NL East. Now, depending on how close or how far they are, there's a good chance that the Braves could come and overtake the Mets for first place during that series. Maybe the Braves win three out of five. Maybe the Mets win three out of five. Who knows? But at no time do I think the, the Mets need to panic. Because like I said, they may have had that 10.5 game lead as of June 1st. And yeah, it's two and a half games, but that is no fault of the New York Mets because they're 23 games over 500. They're not a 500 team like they've been in the past. Last year, I think they led the division, I think I mentioned this before, 104 days. But I think the biggest lead they had last year, I think may have been five and a half, six and a half. Not a surmountable lead at all. Not not when you you're thinking about the new the uh the Atlanta Braves here. So but this year is different. You got a you got a whole new culture, a whole, you know, set of new bats in the lineup with, you know, Escobar and Canna and and Marte. You know, pitchers like Max Scherzer. You know, these Mets have been relentless all season. So, again, that 10.5 game lead, it may have shrunk down to 2.5, but it was no fault of the New York Mets. It's the Atlanta Braves who got extremely hot, going 28-6 and at one point. A 14-game win streak will do that. That will shrink that lead tremendously. But if you're a Mets fan and you're out there and you're panicking over... You know, that 10.5 game lead now being 2.5. There's no reason to panic. The Mets have 50, what? 58 wins? Fifty-eight wins. They're 23 games over five hundred. 
there are 69 games left. 59. All right. They have 12 against the Braves. Seven against the Phillies. Eight against Miami. And nine against the Nats. And they're 28 and 12 in a division this year. With DeGrom coming back eventually, and his rotation being probably one of the top in the majors, there's no reason why the Mets can't win. Out of the, let's see, 19, 27, 36. Out of the 36 games, I can't see how the Mets can't go 20 and... No, 20 and 16. Eh, I think they're better than that. I'd say 26 and 10. I I I think that's pretty doable. So there you have it. Those uh you know Those are the uh, the highlights of the season. I've mentioned the things that need to happen in the second half for the Mets to have continued success. I don't think there's anything else that we need to cover. Um, you know, we've touched on Juan Soto. Uh, like I've said, Juan Soto would be a tremendous fit for the New York Mets. And uh, I would love nothing more than to see Juan Soto come here. I would I would give up the bank for him. 23-year-old, generational player, established superstar, you name it. Uh, you know, I I would trade for him in a heartbeat. He would change the culture of the team. He would make the New York Mets immediate World Series contenders. All right, I'm going to end the segment here. hope you guys did enjoy it. Give me a thumbs up if you liked it, a thumbs down if you didn't. Post your comments below. Let me know what you think the Mets should do as far as uh, trade deadline deals are concerned. What players would you target for DH? What players would you target for catcher? What players would you target for the bullpen? And most importantly, what would you give up if you were general manager of the New York Mets? What would you give up from your farm system to acquire a generational player like a Juan Soto? Once again, thanks for listening to episode 29 of the FanCast Live podcast. Remember, you can listen to this episode of the FanCast Live podcast and many more like it at anchor.fm slash FanCast Live. Make sure you smash that like button, follow, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social media at Fancast Live on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, if you want to reach out to me personally, please send me an email at fancastlive at gmail.com. So long. Let's go, Mets.